need to remember Amos wasn't educated. We need to remember that he didn't have a great upbringing. He didn't have a special preparation for being a prophet. All he had was this simple thing. And you know what it was? He was obedient to God. He was obedient to God. He was obedient, and, his, and obedience is the test of a faithful servant of the Lord. Obedience. And so today we're going into Amos chapter 8, and, and as we answer God's call to check our motives, to check our priorities before the Lord, Israel's oppression was like a summer fruit. It was like a summer fruit that was ripe for being devoured, but it was not a good kind of a devour. It was a judgment type of a devour because of their idolatry and their injustice that was happening in that time. And the Lord was done with waiting for them to change. He had given them a second, third, fourth, so and so and so and so, and the pleading from Amos was not going to change what God was going to do in that moment. Now, all of us that are parents, or maybe that were raised by a good parent, will understand that good parents usually have patience with their children. But there comes a point when you're a good parent and your patience just gets a little bit thin because of the misbehaving uh, things that are happening in the life of your child. And what will eventually happen is you give them some form of correction. You give them a timeout, maybe a spanking. I don't know what it is that you do in your personal life with your child when they misbehave. Maybe you take away the computer. Maybe you take away the TV. Maybe you take away something that they enjoy or that they love. But there's some form of correction. And this is where God is with Israel. It's time to correct them. It's time to correct them for their misbehaving and their disobedience towards him. And so in Amos 1, 1 through 3, it says this. This is the fourth vision that we see here. This is what the Lord God showed me. And behold, there was a basket of summer fruit. And he said, what do you see, Amos? And I said, a basket of summer fruit. Then the Lord said to me, the end has come for my people Israel. I will not spare them any longer. The songs of the palace were turned to wailing on that day, declares the Lord God. The corpses will be many in every place. Every place they will throw them out. Hush. Now, I don't know about you, but there's certain summer fruits that we all love. Maybe you look forward to a juicy bite of watermelon. How many of you put salt on your watermelon? Is that just a Texas thing or something like that? Okay, we got a couple of people that do that. You're like, salt, you know, just try it. It may sound weird, but it's good. It's good. But there's certain summer fruits that we all look forward to that are just ripe, that are just tasty and delicious. And, you know, maybe it could be even an apple, you know. There's nothing like a good, ripe piece of fruit. There's nothing like uh, that looks good on the outside, especially when you're so hungry. You come home or you see this, this fruit that just looks delicious and you're hungry. But if you don't inspect it and you just take a bite of it, the way it looks from the outside, the way it looks from the outside, you've you got to be careful because what happens sometimes when you take a bite of that apple, if you're not careful, it, it can taste a lot different from the way it looks on the outside. It can look a lot different from the way it looks. How many of you have ever taken a bite of a fruit? Or maybe you got some milk and you just poured it in, didn't even think about it. You just started drinking it and it was curdled or it was chunky and you just, you know, spit it out of your mouth. Anyone ever experienced anything like that? Anyone want to come to the altar right now and repent, you know, or, or anything like that? We've all been there. We've all tasted something that looked so good on the outside. But when we took a bite of it, it looked just like that ugly piece of fruit. And we didn't hold on to it. We didn't say, ooh, I'm, I'm hungry. I'm just going to eat it anyway. No, we discarded it. We got rid of it. We threw it away. Or we put it in the compost pile or whatever it may have been that we, we may have done in that, in that situation. I heard a story about a man who was wandering into a small antique shop in, in San Francisco. And mostly it was cluttered with knickknacks and junk. And on the floor, however, he noticed what looked like an ancient Chinese vase. 
And on closer inspection, it turns out it was a priceless relic from the Ming dynasty. I don't know what this guy was thinking, you know, this owner of this place, but it was, its value was beyond calculating, and it was worth everything else in the store put together. And the owner clearly had no idea. And I'll tell you why in a moment about the value of that position, of that possession, because it was filled with milk. It was filled with milk, and it was filled with milk because the owner had a cat in the store. And this cat was drinking out of it. And the man seemed, sees this as an opportunity of a lifetime. He's like, this is better than winning the lottery. This is better than being in someone's will. This guy doesn't even know what he has. And he's using this nice Ming vase, you know, from the dynasty of back in the days for milk for a cat. He goes, oh my gosh, this is going to be an easy, an easy thing to do. So he clevers a strategy method to obtain this vase for a fraction of, of, of what it's worth. And so this man who walked into this store looks at the owner and says, that's an extraordinary cat you have. I really enjoy this cat that you have, he says to the owner. How much would you sell her for to me? And of course, uh, you know, I, I, he said, I must really have this cat, the man countered. And of course, tell, tell, tell you what, I'll, I'll give you $100 for that cat. And of course, he didn't even let the owner speak up or say anything about the whole situation. And of course, the, the owner just started laughing and said, well, she's not really worth $100, but if you really want her that badly, she's yours, you know. And so the man gave him a $100 bill and, and uh, you know, the man thought to himself, well, I've got the cat now. Um, well, you know, how much for that vase? You know, because I, I, I need that vase so that I can give the cat milk so, so it's familiar with, with what it's used to drinking out of and stuff like that. And of course, the owner looked at the, the gentleman and said, oh, I, I could never do that, sir. And he says, why wouldn't you sell me this thing for like 10 bucks? You know, I'll get it off your plate. I'll get it off your, your mind and all that. He said, well, that saucer is an ancient Chinese vase from the Ming Dynasty. It's my prized possession whose worth is beyond calculating. He goes on and says, the owner says, it's a funny thing, since I've had that vase and where I've placed it, I've already sold 17 cats. <laughs> Talk about a deceiving situation. You see, the guy thought he knew more than the owner did, but all along the owner knew more than the guy who came into his store. And it reminds me of this if you want to write this down in your notes. Looks can always be deceiving to us, but not to God. Looks can always be deceiving, but not to God. Why do I say that? Because we read in 1 Samuel 16, 7, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Why? Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The river flows. The wellsprings of life come through our heart. There's something about the heart that, that's so important. You see, the people of Israel looked like they were doing all the right things. They looked like they had their acts together in, in the eyes of one another in the temple. But most of the people's hearts and minds, they were far from God. They weren't living for the Lord. And most of the people, you know, were, were far from the Lord. Don't ever be fooled by what you see on the outside because on the inside, it might be a whole different story just like that apple. It might be a whole different story just like that guy walking into that, into that antique store who said, man, I got this owner. He doesn't even know what he's thinking. But the owner knew all along, and that's the same way with God. God knows more about your heart and your mind and my heart and my mind than you and I will ever know. We might be able to fake this or that or be able to do this or that, but not in the eyes of God. Not in the eyes of God, no matter what we're dealing with in this thing called life. You see, God saw through their fakeness because someone is usually ripe for punishment if they try and look good on the outside, 
but are rotten on the inside from a disobedient lifestyle to God. You you know what God is looking for today, friends? He's looking for spiritual integrity. He's looking for us to be people of character more than reputation. That is what he's looking for. You know what God is looking for today? He's looking for an obedient heart. He's looking for an obedient spirit. You know what God is looking for today? He's looking for commitment more than checking in and checking out of going to church or going through a religious ritual or checking boxes on what you've done for him. We need to remember today, friends, if you want to write this down, it's not about impressing others with our reputation or with your reputation. It's about impressing God with our obedience and our commitment to him. That's what it's about. Have you ever noticed that when you have someone come into your house, you clean it up, you, 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 you clean cupboards and other areas that are full of dust or whatever? Why? Because you, 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 you want your, the people that are coming to your home to be blessed, but you want to impress them. There's nothing wrong with those kind of things. There's nothing wrong with wanting to impress someone. You know, when you're going out uh, on a date or you, you ask a girl out or a guy out or something like that, you, you want to impress them with who you are and, and, and the blessings that God has given you and so forth. But if we're not careful, if we're not, if we're not focused, we can be all about impressing others by our reputation, by our looks, by our bank account or whatever it may be. But it's about impressing God with our obedience and our commitment to him. Listen to what it goes on and says in Amos 4, uh, 8, 4 through 10. Hear this, you who trample the needy to put an end to the humble of the land, saying, when will the new moon be over so that we may sell grain and the Sabbath so that we may open the wheat market to make the ephah smaller and the shekel bigger and to cheat with dishonest scales so as to buy the helpless for money and the needy for a pair of sandals and that we may sell the the, the refuse of the wheat The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, indeed, I will never forget any of their deeds. Because of this, will the land not quake and everyone who lives in it mourn? Indeed, all of it will rise up like the Nile. It will be tossed about and subside like the Nile of Egypt. And it will come about on that day, declares the Lord, that I will make the sun go down at noon and make the earth dark in broad daylight. I want to pause there for a second. Doesn't that sound like Good Friday? Listen. Then I will turn your festivals into mourning and all your songs into songs of mourning. And I will put sackcloth around everyone's waist and baldness on every head. And some of you are like, that's where it happened, you know. And I will make it like a time of mourning for an only son. And the end of it will be like a bitter day. Now, of course, in verses 1 through 3, that was the fourth vision of judgment that was coming. But there's this pause. There's an intermission, just like going to a great Broadway show or whatever it may be or a kid's musical or something like that. There's usually a pause. There's usually an intermission to change the scene on the stage or for people to get a refreshment or a snack or go to the restroom or whatever it may be. And there's this intermission and there's this pause uh, coming to the people of Israel as God focuses on their behavior. He focuses on their ethics in verses 4 through 7. You see, the people of Israel may have filled the temple, but greed controlled their minds. Greed controlled their hearts. It seems like they made room for all sorts of stuff in their world except for the Lord God Almighty. And I want you to understand this, friends, that no matter how busy life gets, and how many of you know life gets busy? Life gets really busy. Life gets real complex. We've always got to make room for God. We have to make room for God in the busyness, even of the season, even in the holidays that we're living in right now. 
Now, throughout the book of Amos, he's going hard after the wealthy, and you read that in, you read that in, verse, in chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6, and 7, and so forth. But in 8, he, he kind of takes a, a switch and, and doesn't focus on the wealthy per se um, and, and their attitude when it came to caring for the poor or the oppressed in this chapter. But now he's, attack, he's not attacking the wealthy, but now he's, he's literally going after the merchants. He's going after the merchants who wanted to do away with the poor. And, and the merchants in verses 5 and 6 couldn't wait for the holy days to be over. They couldn't wait for the Sabbath to be over. Why? Because they wanted to go back and make money more than making room for God. They, they, they weren't looking at their motives. They weren't looking at their priorities before the Lord. Now, how many of you have ever heard of deep vein thrombosis before? Have you ever heard of that? Deep vein thrombosis. Every year, between 60,000 to 200,000 people will die from a medical condition known as deep vein thrombosis, or DVT. Usually, the DVT occurs in a person's legs where blood was pooled, allowing a blood clot to form. And once formed, the danger is that the, clot will, the, the, that the clot might circulate to the lungs or to the brain where it can cause respiratory failure or a stroke. The tragic thing about DVT is that they are not caused by irresponsible behavior. Listen to me this morning, friends. But by simply being inactive, inactive by simply sitting or laying down too long is all it takes for one of those clots to form. What, when we blatantly do the things that God forbids, we expect that there might be some serious consequences, and most of us know that. That's why we repent. That's why we ask God to forgive us of our sins or whatever it is that we're dealing with. But because of the sins of omission, even though they are subtle, we tend to think of them as more benign. And nevertheless, sometimes it's the person who lays around, listen to me this morning, and does nothing in their relationship with God, who doesn't make room for God in their life, who faces the greatest danger, just like the person who is inactive and ends up developing DVT. Revelation 3.16 says, so because you are lukewarm, you're neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. The people of Israel wanted to enrich their flesh rather than enrich their spiritual lives with God. They were, willing to cheat out, uh, they were willing to cheat others out to get ahead in life. But in the end, it would lead to their demise. Instead of spending time with God, other things became more important to them. They didn't give God worship. They, 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 give, they didn't give Him worship from their heart, but rather they just gave Him lip service. They just went through the motions. But God will never forget anything that the wicked have done unjustly. And when the people of Israel lost everything, when they lost everything, what do you think they did? Do you think they begged God for mercy? Do you think they went to the Lord and said, Lord, forgive us of our sins? What happened was when there was no one else to turn, when there was no one else to, turn to, they attempted to seek after God, yet it was in vain. It was in vain. Listen to what it says in these closing verses of Amos chapter 8. It says this, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread or a thirst for water, but rather from hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea and from the north even to the east. They will roam about to seek the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. They won't find it. On that day, the beautiful virgins and the young men will faint from thirst. As for those who swear by the guilt of Samaria and say, as your God lives, Dan, and as the way of Beersheba lives, they will fall and not rise again. You see, somewhere from all the successes that the children of Israel had experienced, the deliverance that they had experienced, the redemption that they had experienced, the miracles that they had experienced, the blessings that they had experienced, their hearts became apathetic. 
They became apathetic. And here is one way that you'll know if you're developing an apathetic heart today. An apathetic heart will develop when there is no appetite for God's Word. Do you have an appetite for God's Word? I know some of you are thinking about where you're going to go to lunch, what you're going to make, what you're going to eat. But do we have that same kind of development when it comes to the Word of God? You see, an apathetic heart will develop when there's no appetite for God's Word. Since there was no passion for God's word, you know what happened is apathy set in. Apathy set in in the temple. Apathy set in in the land. And apathy will cause the society, apathy will even cause people in the church to accept the unacceptable. Listen to me this morning. I'm talking about where our culture is today. That's what apathy will do. Apathy will cause a society or even people in the church to accept the unacceptable when it chooses not to measure itself to God's standards found in the Word of God. And that's exactly where our world is today. We are living in an apathetic culture. When I grew up in the 80s and the 90s, there was no sports on Sundays. I went to a Christian school. There was no practices or homework on Wednesdays. Those were the days you'd go to church. We had a thing in Texas called the Blue Law. Does anyone know what that is? Uh, the Blue Law was on Sundays. You couldn't buy alcohol. You couldn't buy alcohol in Texas. The day where there's football, the Cowboys and all this stuff, they would literally put a blue line across all the alcohol and you couldn't buy it on a Sunday. Those days are over, unfortunately. Why? Because we're living in an apathetic culture. And the church has literally become just like the culture. They are accepting the unacceptable. But Matthew 5, 6 says this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Amen? We must hunger and thirst after God because if we're not careful, we can take advantage of his word. We can take advantage of the preaching of God's word. Now, famines and droughts, if you, if you look throughout the Old Testament, famines and droughts were two ways God would punish people. And the reason he would bring a drought, the reason he would bring a famine is because sin and disobedience. But Amos talks about a new kind of famine in this verse of, verses that we just read in Amos chapter 8. It's the famine of the lack of the word of God being preached. And since the people rejected God's word, there would now be a famine spiritually, and that famine would be a lack of faithful preaching happening in the temple. And today, many still look everywhere else for life's answers to their problems. They, they, it's, instead of the scriptures, they turn to tarot cards. They turn to horoscopes. They turn to all this or that. They, you know what Ann Sanders says, or whatever may, her name may be today, or, or um, you know, um, the other gentleman, um, I can't remember his name, but he's Dr. Phil, or whatever it may be. That is why we, have to, we must point people to to God's word. We have to point people to God's word. That's the key, friends, this morning. Because it's God's word that can speak into their needs. It's God's word that will speak into your life. It's God's word that will give you the answers to your questions that you're going through. Why do I believe that? Because Hebrews 4.12 says this in the King James Version. For the word of God is quick. Everyone say quick. And powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even the divided as under of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Forget about that. We should never take for granted hearing the word of the Lord faithfully being preached. Recently, uh, um, Chuck Marvin came to the office and 
he was dropping off his tithe and he told me, he said, Pastor, man, you keep preaching the gospel. You keep preaching the word. It just built my spirit. It encouraged me to hear that from my brother in the Lord. When there is a famine of God's word, people will get filled by other forms of religion. Listen to me this morning. People will get filled with other forms of spirituality. Oh, I'm a spiritual person. You hear that from Madonna. You hear that from all sorts of people in our culture today. People begin to seek out new religions, new experiences, new adventures. That is why we must cherish and not take for granted the preaching of God's Word with power, with authority, with instruction, and with boldness. Can somebody in this room say amen this morning? I know how to build crowds. I've done big events. But I want to build a church. Because crowds will come and go. But a church will last forever. And all we need is a remnant. That's all we need, and that's what we got. We've got a remnant in this room. We've got people that are checking their motives and their priorities before the Lord, and they're realizing, Lord, I'm no different than the people are, the, that, that are in Israel or in the book of Amos. You see, the Word should correct us. The Word of God should challenge us. The Word of God should comfort us to go forward in faith, not only for today, but Lord willing for generations until He takes us home. Why do I believe that? Because 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 in the, NS, in the NASB says this, the New American Standard Bible, it says, all Scripture, I want to say all. Did you hear what I said? All, not, not just the New Testament. Not just whatever you like or you think is cute or our culture thinks is cute. All Scripture is inspired by God and beneficial for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God may be fully capable, equipped for every good work. This is our instruction. This is our GPS. This is God's plan of salvation. I don't know about you, but I know when someone sends me an address and I don't know where to go, I punch it in my phone, I press the button on MapQuest, and I listen to every word she says to turn right or left. But a lot of times, we don't do that when it comes to God's Word. Come on, somebody. Help me out this morning. I'm preaching truth because the truth will set you free. And I know I need to be set free. Because we've all sinned and we've all, uh, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Every head is bowed and I. Every head is bowed and I.